The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Help! I need somebody. Help! Not just anybody. Help! You know I need someone. Welcome to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. Family caregivers don't have to be alone in their experiences. You will hear from experts and other caregivers facing the same issues that you may be facing. Now, here is your host, Dr. Gordon Atherley. Welcome to Episode 225 of Family Caregivers Unite. This is Dr. Gordon Atherley, your host. After retiring from medical practice, I've become an activist for family caregiving. Our topic today is grief counseling for grieving parents. Grieving is a natural process that every family experiences in one form or another. Grieving by parents, children, teens and families, which follows the death of a loved one, naturally involves them all. But the grieving process can be hindered by bad circumstances in the death of the loved one. And the grieving process can be seriously hindered by bad circumstances in the death of the loved one, especially if the loved one is a child, teen or young adult. So when the grieving process is seriously hindered, grieving parents need support from outside the family, which is why our topic, grief counselling for grieving parents, is so important. To discuss it, our guest is Patricia Hung. Patricia is a police officer with over 20 years experience. She's a business owner, certified grief coach, author and speaker. She brings a unique perspective arising from her her policing experience and as the mother of a murdered child. She's the owner of Coaching Joy, a grief coaching organization that specializes in coaching privately and at the corporate level when employees need support for grief and suffering. She's a member of the board of the National Victim Advisory Committee and co-chairs the Toronto Police Services Victim Witness Advisory Committee. She's currently spearheading a project to improve services for victims and witnesses of crime in the newly formed Victim Witness Support Unit. She's the author of Seven Helpful Ways to Support Those Who Grieve, and she's been published in the Canadian Family Magazine. She lives in Toronto with her husband and five children. So welcome to the show, Patricia. Thank you very much, Dr. Adderley. I'm I'm happy to be here. Great. Now, I'm going to go straight away into my first question for you, which is, please tell us more about your personal story. Patricia? Right. Well, I guess our personal story, the, the tragic part of our personal story, started on January 1st, 2008. As you mentioned, both my husband and I are police officers in Toronto, and at that time, we had four children. Stephanie, who was 14, Ian, 12, Eric was 5, and Patrick was 2. And that evening, we decided to take the two little boys to my mother-in-law's for dinner. 
as we were driving home, we were going to pick up Stephanie from a friend's house, but we got a kind of a panicky phone call from our son, Ian, who was home at the time, and we decided to go home first and then connect with Stephanie later. But what we soon discovered after we had got home is that she had already been brought home from her uh, friend's house and that as we were, while we were away, she had been stabbed just a few feet from our driveway and then shortly thereafter had died of her injuries in a, in a snowbank. So the back end of this story is that there was a, the person who stabbed her was a, a boy by the name of David Bagshaw and he had began uh, dating a girl named Melissa Todorovic in the spring of 2007, just a few months before. And Melissa was a good student, had good marks, came from a, a, a pretty good home. And um, Stephanie, on the other hand, had met David when she was 12 in a neighborhood park where all the kids were hanging out. And we didn't, we didn't think that David was a particularly good influence, so we kind of discouraged that friendship. But fast-forwarding two years, David and his girlfriend were having relationship issues, so David tried to contact Stephanie for some quote-unquote advice, which quickly turned to flirting, and Stephanie was quite upset by that and thought that she should let his girlfriend know that he was somewhat less than a stellar boyfriend, and unfortunately, this was quite a fatal mistake. So because of this, for months, Melissa pressured David to kill Stephanie. And on December 31st, 2007, so New Year's Eve, David had spent an hour outside our home texting back and forth with Melissa, trying repeatedly to get Stephanie to come out of our house. But we were having a New Year's Eve party, so um, she was staying in. But unfortunately, he returned the next day with an 8-inch blade, and um, he caved to the pressure that Melissa was putting on him. So David called Stephanie, and um, when he saw her coming out of the house, he phoned Melissa and said, um, she's coming out and I'm going to do it. Now, Stephanie had returned home from her girlfriend's house earlier and was with her brother in the kitchen. She received this phone call and Ian thought that it was maybe one of her friends because she was a bit confused and she said, oh, something's not right. So she just grabbed her boots and without her coat, she said, I'm just going to the end of the driveway. I'll be right back. Of course, that that promise never came true because as she exited the house, there was David Bagshaw, and he stabbed her a total of six times, and um, he ran away after that, even though incredibly Stephanie was still alive at that point, but her left breast had been punctured. The knife continued through the chest cavity into her back. Her right lung was also perforated, and her liver, ribs, and stomach were, were ripped open. So Melissa, at that time, after having a phone call from David, she waited 15 minutes, and then she called Stephanie's phone and was quite satisfied when she didn't get an answer. And what happened with David was that he ran to a friend's house nearby, he threw the knife away and buried the, his jacket that was covered in blood in the backyard, and then he phoned Melissa to confirm that he had actually done it. From there, she asked David to take a taxi to her house so he could collect his reward, basically. He sent her a text saying, I love you, I can't wait to see you. And when he arrived at her home, she asked him to reenact the killing. And then they had sex. And then she called her mom to ask her to bring her home a green tea latte. And that is the story of, of what happened to Stephanie on January 1st, 2008. And now our story continues every day from there. Patricia, as a follow-up to your story, please tell us about the help you needed and your husband too uh, and what success 
you had in finding the help you needed after the events that you've just described to us? Oh, we needed a lot of help. <laughs> we needed we needed so much. We needed support. We needed some normalcy. We needed someone to tell us why this had happened. We needed Oh, we needed to, to meet other people who were in the same situation as us. We had an insatiable need for information. We needed to we really reconstruct everything to try and understand what had happened. And um, how, how I dealt with it in the beginning, because I'm a very private person, I, I sort of lived in a local bookstore, and I would reward myself. If I could get out of bed, I would go to the local bookstore, I would buy myself a lovely coffee, and I would sit in the aisles, and I would just read book after book after book after book to see if I could find the answer somewhere. And the truth is I never actually did find them, the answers in those books. Um, I may have found them if I was in a different place, but I wasn't ready to see the answers that were there. So I promised myself at that time that if I ever, ever, ever made it out alive, and that's really how I felt, that I would be a beacon for anybody else who needed, who needed, who found themselves in the same spot that I was in. You know, I would be, I would be somebody else's Patricia Hung. And um, from there, I was lucky enough to have services through Toronto Police Service. They had, I had psychological service, so I was, I was given full access to a psychologist who I could go and, and speak to and sort of unload so that I could then come home and be a wife and a mother. I was very cognizant that my husband was feeling just mortified. His guilt was just terrible that he hadn't kept our daughter safe. The kids had night terrors, and, and they needed someone to be strong for them, and I knew that I just couldn't add any more to their lives. So I needed, to, I needed uh, a place that was safe for me, a place where I could just let it out and then go home and, and be the mom that they needed me to be. Patricia, that takes me now to my next question. Tell us about Coaching Joy, J-O-Y, Joy, and why you created it. Patricia? Because of that promise I made to myself in the bookstore, because I knew how it felt to be that desperate and that scared and that um, just absolutely lost. And I knew that one day that if I could, if I could make it and I could be stronger than I was before, then I would do anything I could to help someone else who was in my shoes. And, and I wanted to be that beacon of hope for other people and to let them know that no matter what, they could be okay. They would be okay. So I, I needed to find this, get the tools that, um, you know, there are different, there, everybody's different. So I needed some tools, not just ones that helped me, but ones that helped other people as well. And so I got those. I, I, I became certified grief coach, and I'm, I'm using those now to, to help others who are in the same spot I was. And I also want to be able to teach just everybody how to feel more comfortable around people who are bereaved. And that's why I, I wrote that little booklet of um, seven helpful, helpful ways to support those who grieve, because I just wanted, I wanted everybody to be more comfortable around me, because I felt so uncomfortable that other people were uncomfortable and I didn't know what to do for them. So this is sort of my, my mission with Coaching Joy. This is why I created it. When did you create it? I'm sorry? When did you create it? Um, about two years ago now. 
Yeah, about two, two and a half years ago now. And how's it, how's it going? It's fantastic. It's wonderful. It's rewarding. I have uh, great clients. It's something I hope to do full-time once I retire in a couple of years from policing. And it's, it, it really it gives me purpose. And that purpose, then, is giving yourself a new life, in a way, that is going forward in a way that's reaching out to others, um, saying to others, I know what you're going through, I've been through it myself, and here are things that will be helpful to you, or I hope they'll be helpful to you. Is that right? Have I got that right? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely, 100%. Yeah, And then now, with um, helping people work through, there's an awful lot of guilt. So helping people work through the guilt so that they can move forward. Because when it's the guilt that we get stuck, where we get stuck is with the guilt. And if we can work through that with someone, someone who can sort of hold our hand as we go along and help us move forward, then, then we have a, a great chance of, of success. You mentioned guilt does everybody in this circumstance that you've been through experience guilt? I would hazard a guess that there is no one who escapes feeling guilty with the loss of a loved one, whether it's um, logical or illogical. I think that everyone somehow, some way, feels some guilt after the death of someone they care about. It just seems to be part of it, and I'm not sure why, but it's just, it just is. It's the human part. Now, it's time for us to take the break, so we'll do that now. This is Dr. Gordon Atherley, and my guest is Patricia Hung. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety and Empowerment Channels and CJMP 90.1 FM Community Radio for Power River. Please stay with us. We're coming back. Be sure to friend us on Facebook. You can do it right now. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for us at keyword Voice America. American Heroes Network is a program for and about our American veteran heroes and their families. Join Gary Ray and his co-host as they show what is being done to help our veterans and showcase the companies and organizations that are helping our veterans and their families rebuild their lives. Listen for American Heroes Network, live and powered by the Voice America Variety Channel, every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time. Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at Voice America TRN. You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at familycaregiversunite.org. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and Patricia Hung. Our topic is grief counseling for grieving parents. So let's talk about, Patricia, please, grieving of parents and grieving generally. So first question, please tell us about the grieving of parents. I think that... The loss of a child is probably one of the most difficult things 
that we ever have to go through. Obviously, when a child dies, it, it goes against the natural order, and it's not something we never expect it. We always expect that our children will outlive us and that they will live wonderful lives, and, and that's what that's what we dream of when we have our children. So to lose them is just such a shock. And many times, of course, there's illness, and illness brings with it uh, its, its, own, its own terror and nightmares. But many times the death is sudden, unexpected. It's, it's tragic, like an accident or, in our, in our case, a homicide. And, and regardless of the circumstances or how illogical, a parent tends to, to absorb the blame. So whether whether you, you let your child go somewhere in a car and then there was an accident, or if they were ill and you didn't make the you think you didn't make the right decisions, or you didn't ask enough questions, or it's a homicide, I didn't keep my child safe. We we tend to absorb that blame, and part of grieving is when it's a child is that I, our whole belief system I think is shattered. We it's certainly I lost all faith. I I. I didn't have my faith anymore, which in itself was just devastating. So when our belief systems are shattered, then they have to be reconstructed right from the ground up. And that's, that's a very difficult thing to do, especially without any support. And, and, of course, we feel alienated by others because they are also so uncomfortable in our presence because they don't, they don't want to ever imagine themselves in our, in our spot. And it makes, them, it makes them upset, and rightly so. I, I think about a time when um, Eric was five. He was in uh, junior kindergarten, and he needed life to be normal. He needed his life to just go back to normal, to go back to school, to have his friends, and to have everything as it was. And so normal for him was that I, his mom, would walk him to school in the morning. So we would walk to school, and he would line up with his friends, and he would be so happy. But all the parents around were just, so terribly uncomfortable with me, and I felt badly that I was making everybody else feel uncomfortable, but I needed Eric. It was more important for me at the time that Eric's life be normal. And so these are things that happen when it's the death of a child. Patricia, let's talk about grieving and its stages. What What is grieving? How would you define it? And more particularly, how would you define and describe its stages? Well, it's interesting you should ask me about stages because I think that most people have heard of stages of grief. It was um, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross who coined that um, term, terminology, the stages of grief. But what I think most people don't realize is that those stages are actually for people who were trying to reconcile their own impending passing, not for the families of those who'd already lost someone. So she, she said initially there's denial, there's anger, there's bargaining, depression, and acceptance. But, for example, in my case, maybe there, yes, there was denial in the beginning, and at some point there was anger. There certainly wasn't bargaining because I didn't have anyone left to bargain with because I had lost my faith. And, and yes, there was depression and finally acceptance, but it's not quite as, it's, the stages aren't quite as defined as, as that and also grief is not linear so you don't start at one point and end in another you sort of jump around so one day you feel depressed another day you feel helpful I mean hopeful and then you go back to um, 
denial, and then maybe you move to, I can accept a little bit, and you're sort of all over the place. It's certainly not linear. But um, grief, it's, as you said, it's a natural and inevitable reaction to loss, and, and that loss is varied. The way people deal with their loss varies depending on the individual, and it's not limited to just death. We grieve when we feel any loss. We can lose a job or um, a lost promotion, uh, a serious relationship, or a disability. So grief can't be controlled. It, it, it's not as simple as going through stages, although I, I looked at those stages and I kept hoping, okay, okay, am I, am I at anger yet? Am I, am I bargaining yet? I, I wanted to know that I was moving forward, so I tried to cling to those stages, and, and, and that wasn't a very... And that wasn't a very good thing for me to be doing because I kept being disappointed in myself. So um, it's just something that we have to be gentle with ourselves and allow ourselves to go through. And we have to feel it and we just have to heal. And, and we, we can't not do that. It's just part of a process that we have to go through. And grief is also a very physical experience. It's exhausting. We feel heavy. We feel lethargic. Um, Sometimes it's hard to perform even the most menial of tasks. And and there were times when I had to remind myself to breathe. Like, you think, oh, we just breathe automatically. But when you're in that much pain, it hurts to breathe because you feel like you have an elephant on your chest all the time, such as panic and anxiety. And if you, if the death is sudden, then there's added horrors of trauma or re- reliving the experience in your mind and panic. There's. Uh, heightened anxiety, certainly there was in our house, and and a huge loss of of personal security. So I think that the stages can't be defined as as easily as one might might assume through um, Elizabeth Cooper Ross's explanation. Does that make any sense? (laughs) Yeah, it does indeed. Now, I just want to go back to something you'd You've said a couple of times, and that is, you mentioned faith. Uh, when you say that you were perhaps almost losing your faith, uh-huh. were, were you referring to a religious faith, or were you referring to anything else? And if so, what was it? Um, my faith in, certainly in my faith in God, and my faith in um, the, my naive belief that everything, if I did everything right and I I was a good person and I did what I should do, that I would be okay and my children would be okay. And not really realizing the fact that good things happen, you know, bad things happen to good people. And, And so I didn't have, I didn't feel like I had anyone to turn to. So if I'd ever had any problems in the past, I could count on my my faith that everything would be okay, and I had lost that. That was um, like the floor that had been just taken out from under me, and I didn't think that things were going to be okay. I didn't think I would ever be okay, and so that's where I lost my faith because now I I couldn't trust that it would be okay. Right. Now we're talking now, going back to the question of grieving. And you've mentioned things that I would call complications and challenges of grieving. You, you, you said there really aren't clear stages. You go from one state of mind, so to speak, to another. Now, 
What can be the consequences of what I call these complications and challenges if the complications and challenges prevail? In other words, what is the effect on the person if the complications and the challenges aren't dealt with as effectively as they can be? Patricia, what do you think? Well, I think of um, a friend of my mother's. So my mother runs a support group for uh, caregivers. And she runs it in conjunction with another lady who um, is a fantastic woman but had a very tragic experience. She had two little boys, and just in a moment when she had turned her head, one fell into the pool. They were just little, and his older brother jumped in to save him, and they both drowned. And that lovely woman, she just um, she, she couldn't handle it. She didn't have any support. She sort of went into a catatonic state for quite a few years, and she lost everything. She didn't only lose her children. She lost her husband, her, her marriage. She lost her house. She lost her home. She lost her job. She lost all her friends. And and it, it, it's totally understandable. I could see how easily that could happen, but it's, it's the lack of support that she needed, uh, that she, that she, the lack of support that she didn't have, right, that, 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 that resulted in that, that tragic experience. Eventually, when she sort of came out of her, of her uh, depression, I guess it was, you know, then she started to get her life in order, but it was too late. She'd already lost everything. And so that is a big complication <laughs> of not getting enough help, not getting support. How influenced by that account that you've just given us were you when you set up um you know the grief counseling service that you've set up the work that you do how influenced were you by that particular story um i would say very much so that in conjunction with knowing how she felt and having gone through something similar um i knew how how very, very, very important uh, support is for people who are grieving. And so in that sense, the loss um, dominates. The loss isn't limited to the events, the tragic events that initiated all of this, but the loss goes on happening. Um, and if something isn't done about it, promptly and reasonably, and this is the message I'm getting from you, then it can, in effect, be too late when the things start to get somewhat okay or even fully okay again. Is that right? Yeah, I mean, she, she has managed to, to create a beautiful life for herself now, and, and she's doing great things for other people, and she has a real purpose in her life, and, and I respect her so much for that. Um, but she, it, she paid a big price. She paid a very big price. So, just putting a question to you in this way. So, in other words, we shouldn't abandon the idea of hope. That is, no matter how hard, tough, the period of grieving is and how much more loss it entails, there is still hope at the end of that particular road. Is that right, Patricia? Absolutely. 
Absolutely. And and that's what I that's what I want everyone to know. That's exactly it. So is that the way you you the reason why you use joy when you talk about your business it's called coaching joy. Is that why you use that interesting word joy? I think I use joy because I write a blog and it's called Joy in the Aftermath. And what I want people to realize is that you can you can be okay and you can live your life after a, a, a devastating loss and it will be okay. But you can also feel real joy. You can get that back. And I remember saying to so many people, if I could just be happy again, if I could just be happy again, that's just what, that's all I want. I just want to feel that again. And what I want people to know is you can you can feel it again. Would it be right to say then that the joy, um, the happiness that comes counteracts some of the negative things like the feelings of guilt? Is that right? Yes, absolutely. I mean, I think that, I think that we will walk hand in hand with grief um, and one will balance the other, definitely. But... Um, for guilt, I think there's a, uh, you know, you have to really work through it and you have to, to forgive yourself and you, and there's and there's ways to do that. But, um, I, I, yeah, I, I, I'm, yes, is my, <laughs> yes is the short answer to that question. <laughs> yes, in other words, I'll just summarize it back to you that there is hope. And the hope counteracts at least some of the effects of the guilt and the way in which the guilt undermines the hope. And it's a complex thing. Um, what you've warned us about, there is no definite stage in any of this, but there is a process. And that, and this is you speaking, there's hope at the end of that particular road. Difficult yeah, times to see, but it's there. Now, uh, again, it's time for us to take the break, so we'll do that now. This is Dr. Gordon Atherley. My guest is Patricia Hung. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety and Empowerment Channels and CJMP 90.1 FM Community Radio for Powell River. Please stay with us. We're coming back. Find out which guests are being featured this week. Read our network press releases and read the blog posts from your favorite hosts. Go to iradioblog.com today. Powered by the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Emotional intelligence has been documented to be the most important skill for a leader to move up in an organization. Leaders Playbook will unpack what emotional intelligence is, why it is important, and how you can raise your emotional intelligence for yourself, your direct reports, and your team. Join Dr. Relly Nadler every Monday morning at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 p.m. Eastern, to the Leaders Playbook on the Voice America Business Channel. Your success, your success could depend on it. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at familycaregiversunite.org. Now, Back to Family Caregivers Unite. 
Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and Patricia Hung. Our topic is grief counselling for grieving parents. Um, Patricia, I want now you to talk about grief counselling. So to start with, Patricia, please tell us what grief counselling actually is and who do you provide it for? Okay. Um, well, the grief counselling can come in many forms. Grief counselling can be one-on-one, it can be support groups, it can be peer counsellors, um, counselling from clergy, maybe psychological services. Um, for Personally, I, I didn't feel comfortable in a group setting. I, I could barely handle myself, never mind anyone else. Never mind anyone else's pain, and I certainly didn't want to burden anyone else with my pain who was hurting. I also felt somewhat like um, maybe they wouldn't understand me as well because it was a homicide and it was so rare, and I didn't. I, I was worried that I might be jealous of some parents who got a chance to say goodbye when when I didn't get to, and I just didn't feel like it was a good fit for me. So for me, um, count. Uh, Grief counseling was best done on a one-on-one basis. Now, as I, I think I said already, I was lucky enough to have a psychologist through the Toronto Police Service, and, and she was fantastic. And that's just one other form of counseling. Now, what I do is grief coaching, which is just slightly different. It certainly has the same supportive environment, um, a safe place to express emotions, to to be 100% authentic. But coaching... It's a little bit more active, and and you you help your client uh, move to action once they're ready. Because having something to do, and having a plan, and having a way to to look towards the future is is a good way of feeling fulfilled and finding joy again. Coaching sort of helps people get things done when they might not feel like it. You're an accountability buddy. It's that. It's it's a forward movement, and sometimes counseling is a little bit different. That you 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 um, express your feelings and you let things out and you you get stuff out of your your hot memory, so to speak, and you sort of unpack it and then you put it back so that you can you know unpack and repack until you've worked through all those emotions. But it sort of stops there, whereas coaching tries to move people forward into actually um, consciously looking to feel joy again. And that's, um, that's, that's the only difference between the two. But as, as far as my clients, I have um, clients who have lost children. My niche certainly is victims of homicide, but I've coached people with all sorts of losses, and I find that it's extremely rewarding. Now, I'm going to ask you a question, but this time I'm going to bracket the word counseling with coaching. Because you made a dis- <laughs> yeah, you, you've made a distinction between the two. So I'm going to ask you, why is grief counseling coaching helpful? And I think you've already implied quite a lot about that. And I also want to ask you, when you think it's necessary, that is counseling, uh, coaching, when it's necessary or even essential? Patricia? I think it's necessary. I think some sort of counseling or coaching is necessary for everybody. I don't, I don't, it doesn't mean that you have to be in therapy for years or that you have to be going to a group for years or, or anything like that. But I do think the support is very important. I think without support, people
people can spiral downwards. And sometimes they can bring, if you're, you know, if you're a parent, you have other children in the house, sometimes you can bring that, those offspring with you. And what you really need to do is, is, is to be as good a parent as you can to the other children and not bring them down with you. So I, I, I kind of circle back to that, that friend of my mom's who, with the two boys who drowned, and she didn't have it, and she spiraled downwards. And I can't extrapolate what would happen if she had another child in the house, but certainly it, it's a concern. So I think that's very important in, in, in those situations. And again, it doesn't matter what type of support as long as it's good for the individual. And and it might take time to find the right fit. You might try one person and, and not feel comfortable at all and then try something else. It's very individual. And um, when I was seeing a psychologist, I took my son Ian one day, and I wanted him just to, just to have a chance to speak to her if he wanted to. And she asked him a few questions, and he had told her that he wished that he had gone outside and saw his sister and tried to save her. And quite right, rightly, the psychologist said, well, Ian, if you'd gone out, you know, you, you could have been hurt too and possibly even killed, and then it would have been worse for your mom. And um, he said that he was angry at her for having taken away all his hope, which sounds quite strange. And she said, well, Ian, there's no hope. Uh, your sister's, you know, she's passed already. There's There's nothing to hope for. And he said... Yes, I, I, I think of her and how I could have saved her, and every time in my mind I, I save her and I feel better. And now you've taken that from me, and I don't ever want to talk to you again. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so that wasn't right for him. And for him, he needed his mom to be the one that he could, he could uh, express his emotions to and the one that he could, he could rely on. So I needed to go to the see someone so I could be strong, so that I could be that person for him. So it, it's a very personal decision, and we're all ready at different times. I, I suspect that a good time to introduce this kind of support maybe is after the funeral and when everything settles down and people stop calling and cards stop arriving and, and you're sort of just left with your grief and not really knowing where to turn. I think, I think that's a good time to sort of introduce the idea, at least, of some sort of support. Patricia, I'd just like to follow up on the experience of your son and you, both of you, with the counsellor, the psychologist, Mm -hmm. where your son's reaction was perhaps not what you expected, but nevertheless, it was a very human, caring kind of reaction in his own way. It's just that it didn't particularly fit the circumstances. Now, what do you feel more generally about the idea of family participating in the counselling and coaching. What's your sense of that? I'm sorry, counselling and coaching each other? No. Going to the counsellor, going to the coach or taking part in the coaching process. Is this something that you would generally encourage families to do or would you be a bit cautious about uh, them joining together and all going together to see the counsellor coach? Um, I think that is very individual specific. I don't, I, I think for some um, families it's a good thing if they go together because then, because many times people feel uncomfortable and they need that, that reassurance of someone who, who they trust to be with them, that, that they feel safe. And other times, 
many people are are too um, too private, and and they don't want to. I, I don't think I would have wanted my my husband with me because I needed a space to speak without him because he was dealing with his own issues. I didn't need him to know about how. I didn't need him to take on any of my stuff. So in that case, it wasn't fitting that we go together. Now, I'm going to lead into the question about shaping the the counselling coaching. But what I think I'm getting from you is this, the sense that it shouldn't be automatic that people go in groups from families for this. It should be left to see how it evolves and see what's right for the individuals because it's a, an individual thing. Um, that's what I'm getting from you. And I'm going to ask you to address that particular point more generally in the next question, which is the mechanics. You know, when is grief counselling best provided? How is it best provided? And for how long should it be provided? And I'm always talking about counselling and coaching together. So, right. when, how, right. and for how long? Right. And I think it's it's very, again, very individual-specific. Uh, it's all based on the comfort of the individual, the, the, the best way for them, how long they need, um, and, 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 and in which format. I mean, I think it's, it's very... I, I don't think it's a one-size-fits-all. I think everybody needs to, to figure out what's best for them. Maybe try a couple different things and what, what they feel most comfortable with. I don't think we can just brush it with a, you know, a, a broad stroke. I mean, I, my preference is coaching, and I, I like coaching because it's done over the phone. It's in the, 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 the bereaved person. They're in the comfort of their home. It's, it's their own schedule. It's It's maybe a safe environment for them to be in, but it, it's not meant to be for an indefinite period of time either. I mean, it's, you know, coaching's not supposed to be for years. It's just supposed to be for a little while and then to help someone move on. But, it, again, it's, it's so individual. I, 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 I don't quite know how to answer that question. I'm going to put an answer to you to see if you agree with me, and that is there is no fixed prescription for this. That is to say, when it works and when it's working, you go on with it. Um, you make decisions as you go. And there comes a point where the people involved and you, the, the coach or counsellor, um, will decide that um, perhaps now it's no longer required or perhaps it should be put on hold for a while. Is that basically the message. Absolutely, yes. Yes, you're right. Okay. Flexibility, in other words, because this is human beings we're talking about. This is not a a mechanical thing. Now, talking of mechanical things, uh, the time has come again. It does so very quickly for us to take the break. So we'll do that now. This is Dr. Gordon Athley, and my guest is Patricia Hung. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety and Empowerment Channels. CJMP 90.1 FM Community Radio for Power River. Please stay with us. We're coming back.
find out which guests are being featured this week. Read our network press releases and read the blog posts from your favorite hosts. Go to iradioblog.com today. Powered by the Voice America Talk Radio Network. These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. Find out which guests are being featured this week. Read our network press releases and read the blog posts from your favorite hosts. Go to iradioblog.com today. Powered by the Voice America Talk Radio Network. You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at FamilyCaregiversUnite.org. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and Patricia Hung. Our topic is grief counseling for grieving parents. So let's talk about more things that you, Patricia, want to do and that you, Patricia, want to see done by others to help people who need grief counseling. So first question then is, What more do you want to do to increase help for people who are grieving? Patricia? Um, I think I want to reach out to as many people as possible, continue to to, uh, share my message. I really want to uh, educate police, crown attorneys, appeal attorneys, um, parole boards, about what it's actually like to go through the system as the victim of a homicide and to give them sort of the dual perspective, uh, you know, with both sides of the law and order equation, so to speak. Um, I think I think so far what I've done in that area has been very valuable, and I'd like to see that continue all over. Um, I want to continue to speak about resiliency, about post-traumatic growth, and introduce it more into the corporate world. I, do you know anything about post-traumatic growth? No, I don't, but carry okay, on. So, so just very briefly, it's sort of an emerging field in psychology, and studies have shown that there are four key things that, that people go through who end up uh, more joyful in life after a traumatic event. So the most important thing, of course, is social support. The second is recognizing that our core beliefs have been shattered and finding a way to rebuild them. Thirdly is um, when, we, when we look at where we are compared to where we were and we can acknowledge that we've had some growth, we look at it, and then we, we acknowledge it, and we celebrate it. And then even if it's just the, the smallest thing, oh, I got out of bed this morning, well, that's better than yesterday because yesterday I didn't. And if we do that every day and we actively look for things that we're improving, then we will continue to improve further. And and the last thing, and this is where it's very important to me, is that um, people who have accessibility to themes of growth, so by that I mean seeing other people who have been in their situations and who have thrived after a traumatic event, the more access they have to those stories or those, those situations, the, the more likely they are to, to thrive and to find joy in life after, after an awful event. And so I want to be that person for other people. <laughs> right. And Patricia, I also just... want... Sorry? 
I was just going to ask you, just repeat the name of Themes of Growth. Is that right? What's the name? Yeah, yeah so right. the, the idea that um, somebody else, just like you, has made it, and they're doing well. And so, therefore, I guess people, I guess we gain strength through that. Right. And so I want to be that person for other people I, because I needed that person for me. And so I want to be that for someone else. Right. Now, let's, same question, but what more do you want to see done by the healthcare and social systems? And I'm going to include the justice systems in light of what you were saying, um, so that they are more helpful to people who are grieving. Patricia? I'm not sure I'm, I'm I'm not sure I'm qualified to answer about the healthcare system. I think we are just we have the most amazing healthcare system and I, I guess perhaps uh, better training for family doctors maybe to help recognize emotional causes for physical ailments and having um, uh, a strong referral service to to social services. I'm I'm not I'm not 100% sure on on what the health system could do. I, I know that in most communities there's excellent support services for people who are grieving, and many times they're free. Sometimes they're through funeral homes or community care hubs where specialized service for the bereaved uh, um, are accessible. So I'm not sure I can tell you in the justice system. <laughs> yes, do, please. I and inc include the social system in as well with the justice system. Well, I think that... Um, there needs to be at least as much consideration given to the victims of crime or to, to, yeah, to the victims of crime as there are to the accused or the offenders. I think there needs, there's a, it's, the pendulum's a bit too one way right now. It needs to come a little bit back more to the middle so that we're sort of all on even ground. And under, really truly understanding how victims feel as they go through the system it's a very good way. It's education, and I think education is advocacy, and um, that's my goal within the within the policing world and within the, the criminal justice system for sure. Patricia, stay, it's basically the same question, but I just want to add something into it, and that is, um, we hear a lot. Those of us who read the newspapers see a lot about house arrest, but. I've had discussions with people, family caregivers particularly, of the people who are under house arrest. And there seems to be very little concern for the family caregivers in those kinds of situations. Now, presumably, there will be situations like that in which the family caregiver is grieving about the way in which um, the individual member of the family who is now under house arrest has got caught up with the justice system about the things that that person has done, about the consequences. First of all, am I right in saying what I've just said to you? And if so, is, this, is the work to be done for family caregivers in the house arrest situation, so to speak? Um, okay, so yes. I mean, every uh, certainly in the city of Toronto, there are services. I'm, I, I can't speak for, you know, the entire country because every community is different. But there are definitely um, support services in place if you are the caregiver in a home and one of the people under your care has, you know, committed a crime and are now under house arrest. It's a very big responsibility, and it's... Um, 
yes, they definitely need support, and and it is available. Right. Now, I'm going to ask you your big, your, the big question of the day. Patricia, what's your message to families and family caregivers who are grieving? What do you have to say to them? I guess my big message is that every, everyone can be okay and everyone can find joy in life after a, a devastating loss. It is possible and it's worth working towards and it's worth hoping for. I, I know that there are so many mixed emotions when, when someone has passed away and, and we feel, we get stuck. We get stuck in, in feeling badly about ourselves, generally because of guilt. And when we're stuck in that feeling, we, we don't think we could ever possibly feel joy again. But we can. And that's what I want everybody really to know and to know it deep down and to have faith and not faith necessarily in a, in, in God or in, in whatever the God of their understanding or anything like that. I just mean just to know that they can feel joy again. And I hope that I'm living proof of that. And some of that uh, joy and, and the hope that relates to it flows from doing what you've done, Patricia, and that's turning around and holding out a helping hand to others who are traveling the same road that you traveled. That's right, isn't it? Oh, my gosh, absolutely. <laughs> That's the key. That is the absolute, that is 100% the key to survival, is to look outside yourself. Right. Yeah. Now, we're coming to the end of this, um, this particular episode, and I'm going to thank you in, in a moment, Patricia, but I just want to comment back to you that your themes of support um, lead to hope. And this is the work that you're doing where it is looking back over your shoulder and holding your hand out and providing support in the various ways that you know will be useful or have a good chance of being useful to the people who are traveling that road. And that, I think, is the story of this particular episode. And here I'm going to uh, do a little bit of a push. I'd like to talk to you again in a later episode about your work of themes of support because that, I think, speaks to a lot of the issues um, in the kind of work you do and also in other stresses and strains that people, family caregivers, their family members go through. So for all the things you've said, thank you. And for all your insights and your advice, thank you. And all success to you in all the work you do, but especially in themes of support because it's important. Oh, thank, th you. thank you so much for having me on your show. It's been wonderful. We'll do it again. <laughs> now, now, what I'm going to say also is thank you to our listeners. We'd like to hear your comments on this episode. And from our listeners, I'd like to hear about ideas for topics or if you'd you're interested in being a guest on the show. In our next episode, we'll talk about treatment for painful, pus-discharging lumps under the skin. Please join us, same time, same spot on the Internet. Talk to you then. Thank you again for joining us this week for Family Caregivers Unite with your host, Dr. Gordon Atherley. Please tune in again next Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. 
And until then, we hope our program will help make the coming week easier and more hopeful. And I do appreciate you being around. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.